We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in. This is episode 48 of BuzzBeat Radio. Um, we are going to cover today, I think, three games, uh, get into some larger themes, similar to the format of last week's episode, if you caught us in, and really digging into maybe the future of this team um, the immediate and the long term, kind of seeing what that looks like, and then obviously discussing the past week for the Hornets. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Lakers game, which was, I think, last Saturday night. It's a long time ago, not a game any of us really wanted to discuss anyway. So uh, we will be talking OKC, uh, Houston, and last night against Miami at home in a game the Hornets uh, lost. So one and two in this stretch we're going to talk about. We're recording this on Saturday morning, so the Hornets actually play Portland tonight. Um, so we're in between, like we did last week, kind of in, in between that back and back, back to back uh, stage for the Hornets. Um, don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Uh, please check out AlmightyBaller.com for a lot uh, of other great content across the NBA. Everything you want in podcast form is certainly there at AlmightyBaller.com. And then our good friends at Sports Channel Eight, where Brian Geisinger. Uh, is uh, really a, a founding member of the Sports Channel 18. They do a great job over there. ACC basketball is kicking up, but they cover all North Carolina sports. It's great stuff. So check out sportschannel8.com and follow them at sportschannel8 on Twitter. Okay, uh, let's jump in. Richie, how are you? Christmas time's already almost here. Uh, wait, are you on break now? Are you away from the kids? Are you uh, I'm, I'm away from the kids today because it's Saturday, but no, I, I got Monday and Tuesday of next week. And this past week has been the longest week ever. Uh, it just feels like any any week prior to a break, uh, it just feels double the time. So so Monday and Tuesday are my last couple of days before my break, but those things are going to feel like forever. Uh, we have our class party on Tuesday, and the kids are going to be very amped up on sugar. Uh, so having to deal with them on those last two days is going to be fun. But uh, yeah, I, I'm exhausted. Can't wait for the break. Catch up on some sleep. Uh, but I'm also excited because tomorrow, Sunday, I get to go to the Panthers game, which is a uh, a meaningful game I actually get to watch because these Hornets games have not been very meaningful considering the fact that we've been losing and losing. 
Yeah, and will become less meaningful uh, by the day. Um, but that's good news, BG. That means that uh, draft prospect season will get hot and heavy. Our, our favorite time of year, one that Richie will soon learn to love. We talked about this last year, Richie. You, you're you're going to be an expert sooner than later. Uh, BG, how's it going? It's good, man. Um, you know, it's crazy. Christmas, holiday season sort of snuck up on me somehow this year. Uh, basketball season makes everything go by quickly, but no, it's good. Um, I'm excited to have ACC basketball season right around the corner. I've already been to a few Duke and UNC games this year, and I know I'll be at some at a, a, a lot more the next few weeks once conference play starts up. Um, I've got a Wake UNC game circled on my calendar two Saturdays from now, and uh, and yeah, no, it's low on sleep, but uh, if if you, know, if you weren't busy this time of the year, you'd be bored. And you'd be wanting to do basketball-related stuff. So better to be a little sleep-deprived than to uh, than to be on the outside looking in. But no, everything is everything is good here. Good to hear. All right. Well, let's um let's try to do this together. I mean, don't forget that, guys. As we suffer through this and, and try to bring you intelligent <laughs> Hornets conversation, we're, we're in this together. All right. Don't give in. All right. So let's start with Charlotte um, getting the big win. In Oklahoma City, 116-103, Oklahoma City, number two defense in the NBA coming into this game. Not sure where they are as we record this, um, but but certainly a shocking result in terms of Charlotte, frankly, got whatever they want um, wanted offensively in this game. I mean, you look at the starting five, MKG has 17, Marvin scores 18, Dwight has 23, a really nice performance here. Uh, from Dwight, Lamb had 14 starts in this game because we're without Batum, who sits uh, in the OKC game. And then Walker has 19. So, I mean, just incredible balance uh, from a scoring standpoint for the starting five. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, the Hornets got what they wanted offensively from behind the arc, from anywhere on the floor, 53% as a team shooting the ball, and then 52% uh, from behind the arc, 13 of 25. Uh, my main note in this game was Michael K. Gilchrist. I mean, we saw a different kind of player. Richie, you and I talked about it a little bit earlier in the week. I mean, he did some things in this game that I have never seen uh, Kid Gilchrist do. He, he goes 8 of 9 from the field in this game. Again, 17 points, 4 assists. 4 assists is a lot for MKG, a guy certainly not known for his passing skills. But he made one trademark play, really, from this game. He, uh, defensive rebound, grab-and-go situation, brings it up the floor, little left-handed kind of hang, hesitation dribble, goes right past Paul George, gets all the way to the rim, converges a bunch of OKC defenders, and then swings it opposite corner to Marvin, right into his pocket, three. I, I've never seen MKG not only make a pass like that, but really just the total play, you know, like take, grabbing it, going all the way down the floor, aggressively attacking the basket, kicking it out for the three. I mean, what a play from him, stuff that we have not seen from MKG really to this point in his entire career. But it was it was an overall team performance here for the Hornets. Again, they get the win, 116-103. Richie, some notes for you in this one. I mean, the same thing, MKG. We've all talked about this. We've kind of seen the, the difference in him and his aggression uh, in the past several games. Um, I don't know what game it finally like clicked and switched, but yeah, he, he has been very impressive past several games and it's it's really either his offense either comes in transition off of a live rebound and he just takes it the whole way and typically when he grabs that rebound he he likes to be aggressive and get out in transition or if it's in the half court set if the ball is on the on the opposite side he is usually coming off cuts off the weak side and he's very um 
calculated in winning cuts. And, and when there's like a double team on the opposite side, he finds those cracks in the defense, catches it, goes up with it, and he's been finishing around the rim uh, at a pretty decent clip. Uh, so that was definitely the biggest note that I took, like you, and, and those assists that he had. Three of them were in the first quarter. Definitely have to give MKG some credit uh, in terms of his play recently. And also, like you said, coming into this game, OKC was the second-rated defense uh, in the NBA. So we thought that with our poor offense combined with their good defense, that this wasn't going to be a good game uh, offensively for the Hornets, but that, that certainly wasn't the case because OKC is able to freely switch on screen, something that really we're not really okay with doing. Several times they had uh, Paul George on Kimba if it was on a switch or just straight up. So it was good to see that we actually were able to uh, get some things going, uh, scoring the basketball against a team that was uh, very good. And we talked about this on the Buzzcast uh, when we did this after this game. But in the third quarter, I think this is where our, our biggest run came. Uh, we played very well in that quarter. And OKC just relied way too heavily on on Russell Westbrook. And that kind of was their downfall in that third quarter. Yeah, the, the Hornets got a bit of a break. No Andre Roberson this night for the Thunder. And I mean, he's a he's a complete liability on offense for the team, but he's an excellent defender and one of the best wing defenders in the entire NBA. So no, no Roberson made things probably a little bit easier for the Hornets. And they really did have one of their best offensive games of the season. I mean, easily one of the three, five best games, the, the 40 point third quarter, second most points they've had in a quarter this season, aside from the Knicks game. Uh, in terms of effective field goal percentage, the second best game they've had this season, the 13 three-pointers, uh, again, another top three number. But like you guys said, uh, Michael Michael Kidd-Gilchrist was incredible. Uh, Oklahoma City aggressively defending those pick-and-rolls with Kemba. Uh, I thought maybe more so than I'd seen any other team attack Kemba off the pick-and-roll. Just not worried about Dwight making plays in space, and so they were sending two defenders at him. And I thought on the backside of the defense, MKG was making a lot of really smart, aggressive plays, stepping into shots with confidence, attacking the rim, uh, ball reversals. Everything looked good. And really, the last five games, guys, he's been incredible. Uh, 14 points, uh, 66% from the field, six rebounds, two assists per game, 77% shooting in the restricted area, 43% from the mid-range. And the Hornets scoring 111 points per 100 possessions with him on the court, just 87 points per 100 possessions with him off the court. I mean, that's the difference between the number one offense in the league or top five offense and, you know, a G League team, essentially. So this is this is the best offensive basketball that Michael K. Gokers has played since he was probably like in high school, legitimately. Um, So, no, they've they've gotten incredible production from him. Um, You know, the three pointer is probably never going to be there. But uh, he's been phenomenal and was, I thought, really kind of the lone bright spot in some of these rough games recently, like the Houston game and stuff like that, too. Other thing that I took from the Oklahoma City game, uh, the Hornets take just 21 shots at the rim, but they make 15 of them, 71%, which was solid. Um, The Thunder got to the rim a fair amount, but didn't shoot a high clip. And I thought just Adams didn't get loose. I I, kind of thought Steven Adams would have a big game slamming down pick and roll dunks and stuff like that especially without roberson kind of cramping the offense a little bit and the hornets dwight those guys did a good job i thought in terms of pick and roll defense this game i think that's been a a bad suit for the team this year so i think when they do have a good game defending the pick and roll it's worth kind of uh, bringing that up no doubt so while we're on the mkg appreciation uh let's just stay there i mean i you're exactly right brian i mean just you know when Kemet comes off any kind of screen, he, he gets two defenders, you know, 
he swings it, MKG's got to be ready to attack. In the past, you know, he's he's reluctantly attacked is the way I would say it. Now he's doing it with, with a purpose, and, and he's going to actually finish the shot, getting to his right hand, getting to the rim, and going to finish. Uh, whereas in the past, I think if he felt contact, anticipated contact, he got anywhere close to it, you know, he was already throwing his upper body backwards and kind of hunting the whistle, hunting the foul, not really showing any kind of determination to actually finish uh, around the basket. But now that's not the case. I mean, I, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. Like, it is literally these last four or five games where we've seen this different guy who's just kind of like made up his mind that I have to be aggressive. This team needs me offensively. Um, and he's, he's capable of doing it. Um, he's a strong player. He's not certainly not overly athletic. Uh, doesn't have a great first step. You know, doesn't, doesn't, you know, explode off the floor. I mean, these, these are not the things that MKG really does well, but he's a capable finisher and he, and he's a physical player. And he's starting to show that offensively. He's always showed that defensively. But you always wondered, well, why doesn't he? You know, why isn't he a physical player offensively? And I think he's starting to to show that and play with more confidence. And man, these last few games has just been so refreshing to watch from him, uh, a guy who certainly cannot shoot uh, and probably never will be able to, uh, especially from behind the arc. But you know that means that you know defenders give him a lot of space. They already give him a head start going to the basket because of how far they play off of him. And he's starting to take advantage of that, and and those are the little those are the little things that just from a player development perspective you you look for. I mean, MKG is putting the ball down and attacking and going right at uh, these defenders that are sitting two or three steps away from him. And he's even, I mean, in the last few games he's shown like one dribble left pull up. He's shown a little pump fake in the mid range that you you know the defender has to at least respect now because he's shooting in that forty percent range from that area then he can rip through and get to the rim i mean he's showing this stuff that i just have not seen from mkg on any kind of consistent basis his entire career but he's doing it again all of a sudden pretty consistently and regularly so very refreshing to see from mkg he has been the bright spot for the hornets uh in these past few weeks and another thing if they're sagging off on offense when he has the ball but also on when he's off ball as well they have the players that are guarding and they just kind of drop into the lane and that's when he finds the spots also on his cut so uh, it's working with him on ball and off ball with the people coming off of him a little bit uh, and i guess a common theme that i'm going to be talking about a lot uh, on this episode uh, is just the fact that we push the pace in transition i feel like that's where we benefit a lot and mkg is the perfect player to kind of insert into that type of style because he can grab and go grab and go and i think i've said this a couple of times on the, on the previous episode but when we set up our offense in the half court i just think things are just a little too sluggish so mkg is a perfect type of player to kind of use in transition as well yeah uh just looking at some of the tracking data this is pretty impressive over the last five games uh, MKG has been averaging about 33 touches of the basketball per game. Uh, 21 of those coming in the the uh, in the front court. He's only ha- holding the ball for about one and a half minutes per game in that stretch. He's scoring uh, 0.44 points per touch, which like that maybe sounds like nothing, but that's best on the team. That's better than that's better than Dwight, who's you know a, a dunk bot at the rim. So that. That kind of that kind of efficient production coming from a wing is pretty darn impressive from MKG over the last few games. It's really good stuff from him. You certainly hope that you know this continues. And you know <clears throat> this is really important for the Hornets. And and it is a conversation we can get into a little bit more later. But you t- I mean MKG is twenty four now. You talk about a ten- team that's ten and eighteen as we speak. 
certainly is at a crossroads from a decision-making standpoint of where they're going next. And MKG is one of those pieces that is on a decent, no, he's in a decent value. I mean, it's not a great value. They extended his contract. It doesn't, you know, it, it, I don't lose sleep overnight. It's also not great. Um, but he's still young. He's still a piece you, you want to build around. And, you know, we've been saying this for years and years and years, but MKG's development improvement is still a very important aspect to to the Charlotte Hornets future and to see him still improving you know at this rate is refreshing I don't think this is a player that you're going to see traded as this conversation becomes more heated so you know to see him getting better I think gives you a little bit of hope for the future in Charlotte which there's certainly not much of right now and I, and I would add too I think some people were because you know we saw Mark Price get fired from Charlotte the University of Charlotte this week when he left the Hornets a few years ago I think there was some concern, right, that MKG's development might stall a little bit because um, that price was the guy that had really worked with MKG on his shot and stuff like that. And, you know, despite missing a full season in that window of time, basically only played seven games in 15-16, he's not. He has, again, the, the, the three-pointer's never going to be there. I, it doesn't seem like – again, he did just turn 24 in September, so who knows – but no, the guy's really, he's clearly taken a step offensively this year. Um, and that's impressive because people were worried about that after Mark Price left. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought it up, BG. I had it written down to, to mention later. But yes, Mark Price, you know, fired um, from Charlotte this week. Man, what a disaster that situation is. That program good. All apart in the last 10 years, man. 12 that years. Athlete, that athletic department. I mean, good grief. Anyway, so. Yeah, I mean, really, since Mark Price left, like when he was on staff working with MKG, that's, I'd have to go back and really look this up. But if my internal timeline, internal chronological clock is working, like that's the last time he even attempted a three. Is like when Mark Price was actually a coach in Charlotte, because there was a period of time where MKG was attempting some corner threes. Um, that is no longer the case, but that was under Price. Then when Price left, I mean, that pretty much went out the door. Um, I don't know that he really needs to ever develop that shot to be a useful player, especially if he keeps improving the ways we have talked. But the Mark Price situation, is that something the Hornets should look at? I mean, now that we're talking about it, let's just stay on it. To you guys, does it make sense to bring a guy like that back? Not only was Mark Price uh, very instrumental in MKG's development, especially his shot, but also Kemba Walker's. I mean, Kemba really started to tick up in the season of uh, 2014-15, that was the last season, to my knowledge, I believe, when Mark Price was with the Hornets. He actually might have left for Charlotte before that season started. But anyways, he, he was very instrumental in Kimba's uh, improved shot as well. I would say he's certainly worth uh, potentially bringing in as just a, at least as a, you know, a workout guy with some of these guys that he has the sort of internal knowledge of guys like Kemba and Kid Gilbert instead of maybe Cody that have, that, have, that were there when, when he was there a few years ago too. And it's not like he, I, mean, I still kind of thought he was kind of hanging around the franchise a little bit too. I mean, he was, he didn't have to move or relocate or anything like that too. So no, I, I would be interested on, on bringing him in. Um, he certainly doesn't anything have anything better to do with his time. So yeah, why not bring, <laughs> why not bring Mark Price in and give him a, give him a consultant check or whatever. And, uh, and let him, let him work with MKG and, you know, I, I mean, maybe maybe if there's any if there's any shot of MKG ever finding a corner three, uh, maybe it's with Mark Price. I, mean, I guess I, I just don't see it happening unless it's at the expense of another assistant coach. So, I mean, I don't think he's going to just do this for for nothing unless it's kind of like in the offseason type of thing. But, I mean, 
yeah, I don't I don't know the coaching staff all that well to know who he would replace. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess you could just add him to the coaching staff, but I'm not sure that yeah. that's the route that they're going to take. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, I, I think it depends on you know how much the Hornets uh, really value what he did uh, there. I think you could justify bringing him back, Richie, like you said, whether that's adding him to the staff or, or replacing him with someone else. I, the replacing part, I, I, yeah, certainly none of us have any knowledge to know who he would replace there, but you know. The reason he got that job at Charlotte, not with the Hornets, obviously University of Charlotte or Charlotte University, whatever it is, um, is because of what he did and, and his, you know, how he helped develop players, Kemba Walker, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, a few examples on the highest level. I mean, that's so, you know, he, he really helped the Hornets, like more than people realize at one point in time during his coaching career. So, you know, I think it's an interesting thing to ponder and something that, frankly, I think the Hornets need right now, right? Like they – and especially next season, you know, we have – I get a feeling we're going to acquire younger players, <laughs> maybe in the form of rookie contracts, and then we have more rookies coming in next year. Like one of the most important pieces to the future of the Hornets and, and building this team is going to be player development. And so is that the kind of guy who's had success in that in the past, um, helping build what the Hornets were at their best? You know, Steve Clifford and the 48-win team, um, helping build that, is it worth bringing that guy back? So it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, to see if you know something develops there with that relationship. Um, all right, anything else in this OKC game? It was, a, it was a really good one for the Hornets. Again, they win, uh, just smoke the thunder on the road. What was it, 116-103? The only other thing I wanted to say, and I'll throw it to you guys for to kind of close it, was shocked at the level of of effort uh, and and a lack of want to from the Thunder. Just, just I mean, they were sleepwalking mm-hmm. defensively in this game. It, it was baffling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I understand, three stars on a team, you know, lots of egos. They're going to have nights like that. It's been a struggle there. But uh, I am I would be really worried about them if I was a Thunder fan. They, they've been able to bounce back and win two games subsequently since then in, against good teams, Indiana and Philadelphia. But – they blew an 11 point lead in the fourth quarter to Philadelphia. And that was not exactly an, an, an encouraging win. Um, that, that again, lots of firepower offensively. The pieces don't really fit. Uh, who knows what mellow is at this point. Westbrook's making all kinds of ridiculous passes. He's so his freelancing on defense is unbelievable. I mean, he just like, he just, he just guards sp- spots of the floor. I, I've yeah. seen play, Probably like they're probably one of my top five most watched teams this season, and boy, they—I mean, losing to the Hornets like that on your home court, having them drop forty on you, uh, not a good look. So yeah, no, I—I—I thought there have been plenty of red flags in Oklahoma City this year. This was maybe the first time where I was like, I don't know if I'm I'm hitting the panic button, but I'm I'm looking for where it is because uh, you know the. George expiring contract Westbrook with an option next year. Like they, they've got some stuff they may have to figure out if this team doesn't kind of get its head on straight, but yeah, no baffling uh, season so far for the thunder and OKC. Yeah. You're right. BG like that. Westbrook would go randomly trap something or go for I mean, he gambles all the time. So he's always needs, he always needs help on the backside, but yeah, the thunder goes through these like defensive, like it's, it's incredible to watch. They go through these defensive possessions where like he'll gamble and then immediately everyone else on the floor like is like all right we're like we're in like a matchup zone situation like everyone's just like okay okay we're in like a box situation now it's like every a few different occasions against the hornets like one time he gambled for a steal the other time i think he like trapped someone in the corner just randomly ran away from his man towards the ball and all of a sudden like everybody just takes their eyes off their man like drops 
It's, I mean, they, they clearly like coached on this. If, if Westbrook Campbell's were immediately in basically his own defense, it, it's really, you just don't see that stuff in the NBA very often. So it's, yeah. it's pretty cool to, to see. But uh, I mean, the MKG, the pass, the little lob he makes to, to Dwight Howard there, that was one of those sequences where like, if you go back and watch that play, like MKG, somebody gambles, MKG rips through, like looks, and the whole team is like in a, almost like a two, three zone set. And like, <laughs> Dwight Howard found the sweet spot, the soft spot, and MKG's lobbed it over the top. It's mm. it's it's great. It's kind of weird to think about how this team's number two in the NBA defensively. Like watching yeah. them play that game, I haven't watched them enough, but I mean, it's just weird to me. By the way, they fall apart. Like they they had the worst crunch time defense in the NBA. It's probably bottom seven or eight now. But they had the first couple weeks of the season. I mean, they 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 have issues late in the game. Um, but now that Patrick Patterson's getting a little healthy, maybe that'll that will sure up late. He made some big plays against Philadelphia and Indiana for them. But uh, but anyways, yeah, I digress on the Thunder. Uh, Richie, anything on the Thunder? <laughs> oh, I, I got nothing on the Thunder. But I, I think one or a couple players that we uh, left out. Just kind of a closing thought before we move on to uh, the Houston game. Uh, two players that are just hardworking players don't get enough credit. And we talked about we we desperately need shooting. And both of these players shot the ball very well from three point. Marvin Williams and Travion Graham. Marvin was four for five, and Travion was three for three. Uh, I got nothing on the Thunder, but th- those two players definitely need more credit for what they've been doing uh, recently. But I feel like Travion Graham's uh, minutes are going to be so inconsistent from here on out. So you just never know what you're going to get out of him on a nightly basis because he can't get anything going uh, in a rhythm. All right, let's move. Hey, I, yeah, Richie, I I don't have a lot on the Thunder either, but I, I threw it to you in there. Anything on a different team? It felt good to talk about a different team. Like we don't have <laughs> yeah. to talk about the Hornets. It felt, yeah. That felt surprisingly awesome. Yeah, cathartic. <laughs> or yeah, it just shouldn't be, shouldn't be surprising. But all right, the Houston game and a game that we knew was going to be ugly was nothing. But ugly. Well, you know, I should lead with this. The Hornets starters actually <laughs> smoked the Houston starters. I mean, that, that's probably a strong word to use. But only Kemba had a negative rating, um, uh, plus minus rating in this game, a negative three. Batum was plus 13. Howard was 10. Uh, Marvin was 17. Uh, Kid Gilchrist was a wash at zero. But I mean, the starters did their job. They came in. They got an early lead in Houston. Um, start off the game great defensively. Marvin's locked in. MKG, MKG doing a great job on Harden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second unit comes in. And holy effing moly. Um, it, <laughs> it got ugly and really quickly. Let me just – and you've probably already heard it. I'm sure everyone's already heard this. But Frank Kaminsky was negative 38 in 16 minutes of play in this game. Jeremy Lamb, negative 32 uh, in 22 minutes. Holy shit. I mean, it, some of the numbers from the bench in this game, are just, you can't wrap your mind around them. It's unbelievable how bad the second unit was. And, look, I understand. Like, the, the Rockets, they stagger Paul and Harden. They throw Paul, Tucker, Eric Gordon, uh, you know, Luke Muba Mute at you off the bench. Like it, it's not easy to deal with. Nay, nay. Like it's a good. It's the best second unit group in the entire NBA. I get it, but you also have to put a, a product on the floor that also belongs in the league. And currently, the Hornets cannot do that. And the Rockets. Uh, I mean, this wasn't like varsity against JV. This was like different worlds. Yeah. Uh, meeting it was an embarrassment for charlotte with the second unit and that was the game so second unit comes in with what, like a six-point lead and they leave with down 25 or something it was unbelievable and the problem with kaminsky and you just noted the negative 38 plus minus there 
we've talked about this before. His offense does not outweigh his defense. One, because his offense is too inconsistent uh, for it even to outweigh his, his poor defense. But there was one note that I took of Kaminsky that just just exemplifies his play. He wants no part of drawing a charge. No part. He wants no contact <laughs> whatsoever. I believe this happened in the first quarter. He tries to attempt the, drawing a charge, but he, he is he is first off he's not even squared up with the guy. He's falling before he even gets hit, and it, it I feel like I've seen this fake draw charge from Kaminsky on so many occasions this year. He doesn't want anything to do with a, uh, a loose ball, any contact. That's why I just feel like this guy's never going to make it in the NBA because he mentally is just not there. And, and we saw that again in Houston, just wanting no part of, of this charge. Uh, where on the opposite end, you got Kimba, who's the smallest player on the court, uh, takes our most charges. I, I just don't get why this seven-footer just can't withstand contact I, I don't get it he and he's afraid of contact that it goes both ways too like name me the last time he finished strong through contact on the offensive end that he that he powered up as a seven footer over a smaller defender and got an n one bucket like i it seems like i mean this is maybe my own eye test failing me it feels like that almost never happens uh, i would kind of probably need to dig through dig up through some of the data but yeah spencer like, like you were saying the end of that first quarter Houston closes on a 26 to four run. Uh, see Chris Paul plus the bench has been, I mean, they've, they've murdered everybody this season, but <laughs> this, this was my unofficial count that night. Uh, the last six possessions of that quarter, Houston scores 15 points. So two and a half points per possession rockets four, <laughs> four on threes in the other possession. Chris Paul got fouled shooting a three. Um, so yeah, in the final, this, here we go. In the final three and a half minutes of that quarter, the Rockets score over 205 points per 100 possessions. The Hornets score 50 points per 100 possessions, a net of minus 156 points per 100 possessions. I mean, you just can't, even if that's only over the span of three and a half minutes, you just can't sustain it. And I don't think while you guys brought up the Kaminsky he was what minus thirty eight for sixteen minutes in that game. Was that was that what his official? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I, as amazing as as bad as that is, I honestly think his first half minus thirty one in seven minutes. I think that's actually even more of like jarring. Do you know how hard it is? Yeah, that's go, impressive. I mean, yeah. it's it's amazing. It's got. I would love. I need. We need to see if I can sort through it. But to be on the court for only seven minutes and then have your team outscored. By, by better than by better than four points per minute while you're on the court. I mean, it's it's that's insane. And like, I even tweeted it during the game that night. Like, this is hard to believe, but minus minus thirty one in seven minutes, and people were like, "No, I mean, come on, it's Kaminsky. He's no he's no good. Whatever." And it's like, no, no, no. This is especially bad. Like, I don't think you guys are realizing how how awful this is, you know, it's, it, it's unbelievable. And I feel like such a clown. Cause I, I tweeted during the uh, OKC game, you know, Kaminsky comes in, he's playing five. He has to, his elders out, you know, and, and Charlotte smoked OKC right with Kaminsky at five. It was like, wow, like maybe, maybe it's going to be different this year, you know, like, and he was showing some, some zest, you know, guarding the pick and roll and yeah. recovering and rebounding. It was like, all right, uh, maybe they can get away with these minutes. And then the Houston game. And then again, last night, Miami or against Miami. And it's like, I mean, wow. what an idiot I am to even mentioning that maybe this could work. That guy is terrible. He's I mean, terrible. I mean, he's, he's so bad defensively. It's unbelievable. We'll, we'll get more to it later when we hit Miami. But the Heat were just, I mean, it was a, they went after him every possession for like seven or eight straight trips down the court. 
and just throwing either he was guarding James Johnson and they were putting James Johnson in the pick and roll, or he was just guarding the roll man. And they were just throwing passes right by him every time. But yeah, the Houston's ridiculous. And, um, and I don't know, that game was a lap or midway through the second quarter. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to talk about the Miami game. Cause that was like you said, James Johnson literally laughed at Frank Kaminsky at one point. Like it was like, this is too easy, man. Can you at least provide some resistance? Out here, it's unbelievable. He can't move his feet. He doesn't want to be physical. Uh, he won't get his arms out, Brian, just like you said. So when you throw the little – I mean, it's not even a pocket pass. He, he gives you the pass because he won't get his arms out to just even present the possibility that he could get a deflection uh, on the roll. And, you know, I mean, again, we've talked about this before on the show. It just comes down to effort sometimes, you know, and just like wanting to do it. And Kaminsky not only doesn't have the physical tools to do it, um, and the athleticism, but then he doesn't, he, he just, it's like watching somebody whine with their body language. <laughs> that's like what it is. That, that's what it is. Like watching him defensively. It's just like somebody's just crying, like a baby's just crying. It's like watching that move around the court for 24 seconds. And it's, why would the team do anything else but put him in a pick and roll every time? I mean, you know what I mean? It's anyways, don't get me started on this. You guys know how I feel about Kaminsky and it's going nowhere. All right, so back to this Houston game. Now that, that ran is over again. Stars are really good. Um, I thought Howard had some moments in this game, and I want to try to give him credit. He finished with 26 points and 18 rebounds. I mean, way too much offense going through him, which is a larger overlying theme for Charlotte. But you got to give him credit. I mean, he took it to Capella, and Capella really had no answer for Howard in a lot of situations uh, during this game. You know, Howard turns it over four times as he, you know, typically does when he gets that many touches around the basket but i mean he's getting to his left hand now um you know over his right shoulder and he's finishing uh pretty regularly and not only that but he's starting to make his free throws i mean in this game he's eight of 11 from the line he was good again last night against miami from the free throw line so you know not to get again not to giving dwight howard that many opportunities um is the, the way to win but just from like a, an individual player perspective Give Dwight credit. He has improved this year uh, with, you know, those touches he's getting around the basket. And I, I guess somewhat maybe justifying <laughs> the Hornets strategy. I will never agree with it, but he is improving. So I did want to mention that. Yeah, I took a note of it, too. I think the biggest thing that I could say about Dwight Howard this year or even in this game, he's a productive player, but he's a problematic player. Playing against a small ball team uh, in Houston, it works on the offensive end. You know, he, he drew the fouls, uh, grabs the offensive rebounds. I don't know how many he tallied, but it was definitely a ton. Uh, and we saw this a lot in the second quarter where he was three for three from the field, uh, went to the line six times, scored five of them. Uh, he snagged three offensive rebounds in that second quarter. Uh, so I, I saw it working versus the small ball. We, we were attacking the paint, giving him the ball. But on the opposite end, it, it just doesn't work. Uh, especially with the pick-and-roll heavy team like a Houston, uh, it just forces the guards to work way too much. So I, I would say, like I said, he's a productive player. He puts up the stats, did a good job on the offensive boards. But again, he's very problematic in a lot of things that we do, and our team just looks way different with him out there on both ends, on both ends. So, yeah, we do have to give him credit. Uh, individually, he did well, but causes some issues for our team. Yeah, Richie, those those are all those are all great points. Just like that, I was tweeting about this during the game and had a little back and forth with our with our buddy Chris Kroger uh, uh, down there on on, on six ten in, in Charlotte. And just the math is so tilted against Charlotte in these situations. Like 
Houston's bombing 26 foot threes wide open off the catch. They're going to go in 45, 46% of the time. And meanwhile, you're hoping Jeremy Lamb fadeaways and Dwight Howard post-ups. I mean, you just, if you play like this, the numbers are so heavily against you. You're going to get, you're going to get smoked because that's basically Houston's going to get one and a half or 1.3 points per possession. And you're going to at best get 0.8. Like, it's just over the course of a twelve-minute quarter, you're just going to get run off the run off the floor. Um, the Hornets go only one of eleven on threes in the first half of this game, and I can't even remember where they think they finished four of twenty-one. Monk hit some threes in garbage time late, um, and Houston hit seventeen threes. I mean, you're just never going to get anywhere close to Houston. Only hitting four threes in the game, and especially when you only hit one of eleven in the first half. Um, it's just, you're never going to beat them just period. They just, it's not going to happen. Um, they look like golden state did in 2014, 15. They're just, they're just destroying everybody right now. And as an, as a huge Chris Paul honk, um, uh, I'm having a lot of fun watching it, but, uh, also want to say that two way play of MKG was great in this game. He had a double, double, uh, shot well from the floor, great defense on Harden. He contests 12 shots or 10 shots, pardon me, according to NBA's uh, tracking data. And I just thought he had another, just another great game and um, for, for the Hornets on both both ends of the court, including really good defense on, on James Harden. Yeah, I thought, so. I thought so too. And I don't know if you guys noticed it, but anytime Ryan Anderson set a screen uh, for Harden, it forced an auto switch where Marvin would switch on to Harden. As a Houston fan, they probably wish they would have done that more because I thought MKG did a good job. Uh, on yeah. Harden, you know Marvin's not a bad defender, but compared to MKG, he What's can't really made, keep up. Yeah. One of the first times they switched that, uh, Harden just went right by. I mean, like you said, Marvin's a great defender, but he can't slide with James Harden twenty-five feet. I mean, Harden just went right by layup at the rim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, though, you know, I think that uh, MKG and Marvin certainly do a good job defensively in this game. That's something we see more of uh, BG, and we we saw it last night against Miami, Charlotte's starting to tinker with this switching thing a little bit more. Um, and it's something that you're going to see more from Silas. There's a few things you're going to see more of. We can talk about some later, but switching defensively and being a little bit more creative, uh, I think, or just more open-minded, I should say, defensively, is probably something I think they're going to try to unleash under Silas more willingly. You know, I mean, last night you see it against Miami some, but like it's still it's still not working because the communication factor is still there. I mean one play sticks right out to me. Um Jeremy Lamb, who who's man? No, no, no. Batum's getting screened, I believe by Jeremy Lamb's man. And of course Batum doesn't talk defensively because why would he do that? But he assumes <laughs> he assumes the switch, which Lamb doesn't Lamb, you know, kind of chose to help and then recovers to his man. And I think it leaves Richardson or whoever it was, you know, just a wide open lane to the basket. But you can tell if you when you watch the Hornets that they're starting to they're, they're practicing this stuff more. I think they're going to get more creative defensively. Um, all right, anything else on this Houston game? This team is uh, Houston. Cool. This is without question a contender for mm-hmm. the with the Warriors. To me, I mean, if this small ball lineup where they put um, PJ Tucker as the nominal center, if, if it continues to show the efficiency that it has in, in the, I don't know, 100 minutes maybe that it's gotten this season. It hadn't gotten that many minutes, I don't think. But anyways, it's shown some some serious success early. If that continues, I don't see a reason why Houston can't beat Golden State. I really don't. That, that small ball lineup with Tucker at center was murderous against 
Portland in New Orleans than two games prior to Houston playing Charlotte. And actually, the Hornets did a pretty good job uh, against against Houston when they went super small. I thought compared to Portland and New Orleans that just got absolutely run off the court uh, with yeah. Tucker at five. Um, yeah, if healthy, then I wouldn't favor Houston in a, in a series over Golden State. But man, it's 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 close. They they look un freaking believable at this point of the season yeah it's definitely close i mean i think bg they have a better offense right now than golden state in they, terms yeah. of efficiency right over this yeah okay they're, 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 if if whatever the order is they're they're right there at one two yeah. i know since paul returned houston does have the best offense and it's had the best defense in the league since chris paul got back it's and what 12 game winning streak or 11 game winning streak i mean it's this is it's a joke and they're just destroying i mean like None of these games are close. They're beating everybody in the first 22 minutes of the game. It's ridiculous. I mean, you knew when Houston added Tucker and Mubamute, like that was really going to help them defensively. Mm-hmm. Like get them to league average, right? But yeah. not to like top five defense. Top five defense. Like, this is, this is, yeah, this is like a government project now. I mean, this is and, something that nasty. And by the way, too, I feel like they, you know, we just talked about Oklahoma City with, with Carmelo and, you know, they're, they're, he hasn't been great. And there may be a player short, yada, yada, yada. Man, Houston dodged a, may, may have dodged a bullet. I mean, I think Carmelo would have been great next to Harden and, and Chris Paul. I think they would have made him better. But they get to keep Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, who are both having incredible years. And, like, Melo's best skill now is he is catch-and-shoot threes. Anderson does that better from further away and for less money. And so I, I think – and so the, instead of getting one rotation player, they've got two rotation players. And it's just, uh, man, Houston looks. I, I, I want them to stay healthy because I think they'd be a fun challenger to the to the Warriors out west. No doubt about it. Um, last thing I want to say on this game is, it's just there's something about watching a team offensively, basketball on any level, that mm-hmm. when they're o- when they're open, or, or just when they play with confidence, right? Like just shoot your shot, right? Mm-hmm. And Houston does it. Like they'll take contested threes. They'll, t- I mean, obviously wide open ones, but like there's no hesitation. Like, there's just something to watching basketball when there's no hesitation and guys are reacting and not thinking. And, man, if you watch enough Hornets basketball, it's like watching five guys out there that are constantly trying to think their way through mm-hmm. the game, especially this season. And then you watch a Houston team and you're like, this, these guys are not thinking. They're just reacting, right? They're just playing. And it, it is an unbelievably beautiful brand of basketball it's, to watch. It's confidence. <laughs> it's confidence. We, yeah. we, we lack that. It's, yeah. And no doubt, no give, doubt. It can be that simple. Give give Mike D'Antoni a lot of credit. I mean, he he these players get. A, I think he's a big reason why they get to play with such confidence and walk around with their chest out and take whatever shot they want to take because he wants them to play fast and chuck threes and look for dunks and lobs and stuff like that. And it makes you wish it hadn't taken Chris Paul twelve freaking seasons to find Mike D'Antoni, you know, and he has to play with Byron, Byron Scott and Del Negro and. Doc bleeping rivers and like now all of a sudden he gets D'Antoni and it's a it's a totally different Chris Paul getting to shoot threes and stuff too. One last thing on Houston, I felt bad for Kemba during the game. Just it's like he's just powerless, man, because he comes off this pick and roll and he just has no options. He's trapped. He's got to get rid of the ball. And yeah, the best bet is to just throw it to MKG and hope he can make a play on the backside. There's just there's no shooters. There's no one that can roll and make a play in space. And he has to get rid of the ball. And it's just, it's, it's really frustrating to watch. And I can't imagine what it's like for him. It's just, it's, he's got to feel powerless out there. And that's got to be um, a painful thing for a guy that plays with so much courage and bravado like Kemba. 
Great segue. Um, he's 5-15 of 15 in Houston. He really struggles offensively. Uh, it carries over into the Miami game last night. I mean, Kemba is – BG just nailed it right on the head. He has no clue where to, where to go offensively right now. Uh, there's no space for him. With Howard, um, you know, I tweeted out earlier in the week, Kemba – and after these last three games, actually, I, I'm almost – well, not certain, but I, 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 there's a good chance Dwight Howard now has a higher usage rate uh, than Kimball Walker, which is just unthinkable coming into this season. They were dead even. I think on Monday or Tuesday I looked that stat up. They were dead even. Uh, but, you know, it, you look back on the decision. I mean, when you when you brought Howard in, certainly you don't think he's going to be dead even or ahead of Kimball Walker usage rate-wise, but you know you're going to have to give him touches. You mm-hmm. know it's going to come at the expense of Kimball Walker's offense and his development and gee damn it that that's exactly what's happening and it, you know it, it's maddening it's maddening because you, you don't know if Kimball Walker is going to be a Charlotte Hornet much longer he's the best thing that's ever happened to this franchise since they've been back in Charlotte and it, it does it pisses you off it, it pisses me off um to think that you know we we've brought in a guy like Dwight Howard to get off a bad contract whatever that, that's all good and well but now I'm looking back on it like I'm getting to the point where I'm like it, it's just I see why people say this wasn't worth it. <laughs> I didn't see it at the time. I should have. Um, you know, it felt like the Hornets could still build some momentum and, and, and churn out of a 45-ish win team. But, like, Kemba Walker is a lost player right now. And it's it's sad. It really is. Because he's, an all, he's one year removed from being an all-star. And he's not healthy. He's banged up. And it looks like a guy offensively that just has absolutely no idea where to go. Mm-hmm. Again, obviously adjusting with Howard compared to Zeller has been a big adjustment on Kemba's end. And I know that Zeller's injured, and uh, I guess we'll never really know if we never made that trade, how he would have done again this year with Zeller. Uh, but again, Zeller is injured. I just think that there's a lot of things wrong with this team shooting-wise that it also creates more issues with Kemba. You know, we're, we're forced to create space when we set these high pick-and-rolls or these double high pick-and-rolls uh, with Marvin kind of popping out, which is fine, but you can't ever any get anyone rolling to the rim because we have Howard down there on the block and his man, and then you got Marvin's man who's also up there who's going to be at, at extra bodies. We're forced to make passes side to side, not because it's by design, but just because we can't get anything towards the rim. It'd be one thing if we made a pass to the side and we had a shooter over there, but that's not the case. So, like you said, he's powerless. He's working too hard. Uh, it looks exhausting for him, and it just hasn't been an effective season for Kimba uh, shooting the ball uh, for for most part of the season. I mean, I think early in the season he did well, but recently he's not been shooting the ball well. And as a team, the offense just has looked different going towards the basket. Think about it. Think about it this way. So, like, if you're Kimba, because I, I think a lot of people are confused as to why he's not attacking off those double highs, right, or attacking off that single high with Howard as much as he's attacked in the past with a guy like Zeller out there. And it has almost less to do with that initial screen. I mean, I think Cody's a better screen center than Dwight Howard. I think that's well documented. But it's not even that. It's like after Kimba with, with Zeller would snake through that that first double high and, and, and weave his way into the lane, like Cody would then readjust his body to clear a path for Kimba on that, that secondary dribble action, right? Like, but if you're Kemba and you're now playing with Dwight Howard, why would you exert all that effort and put your body on the line to get in there when you know that you're just driving towards a player on your team that's not going to help create space for you, but it's just going to get in your way because he's looking for the basketball. That's all Dwight's thinking about. 
once he rolls to the rim. Where's the, when's the ball coming to me? He's not. He is not going to. Does that make sense? Like you know how good Zeller and Kimba got with that almost not the initial screen, but that when you know when Kimba would snake back, Zeller would then you know freeze, get in the way again, and now Kimba's to the rim. But Howard's not going to do that stuff. He's not. Number one, he's not a quick enough player to do that. But then he doesn't have the mindset to do it. So if you're Kimba, why are you going to go out of your way to get into the lane and attack the basket when you're driving towards a player who's only getting in your way? I mean, it's that simple to me. Howard probably thinks his job is done. After he sets the screen, he's like, okay, I did my part. Let me get back to my spot. You give me the ball. Exactly. Exactly. And and Cody's Cody's mentality is just different. Um, Richie, you just said this a second ago. Like, they – they end up just kind of passing the ball around the perimeter out of out of these pick and roll plays. They don't get north south at all. That's kind of yeah. the issue, right? And with Cody, that's not the case because he's looking to get Kemba going downhill. And Kemba and Cody had a, a and I even thought Cody and Nick Batum had great chemistry in the pick and roll too. Sort of like you see, like Gortat has this in Washington with Wall and Beal, and that's what you saw with Cody and Kemba. And it's just, it's just not there. With with Dwight, I mean the lob hasn't really even been a thing off the off the one five pick and roll because they can't get it going downhill towards the basket. It just sort of stalls out twenty five and a half feet from the hoop, and um, and I mean the offense has just been so I, like over the last eight games under ninety nine points per one hundred possessions, twenty seventh in the NBA, an effective field goal percentage under forty seven percent, worst in the NBA. We're only taking 22.9 three-pointers in that stretch, third fewest in the NBA, um, shooting 32% on those attempts over the last eight games. Uh, it's a bottom four number in the NBA, too. And just because they can't create any good looks, everything's coming late in the clock, and it's it's either contested or it's, you know, it's forced or it's a guy you don't want shooting the ball or it's a Dwight post-up or whatever. But, I mean, guys, let's just be real about it. As far as teams that came into the season – thinking they were going to contend and get a playoff spot. I mean, this might be the worst offense of that bunch. They're probably 21st, 22nd in the league in offense right now. But I would be willing to bet the seven or eight teams underneath them, half of those teams are tanking. And the other half didn't think they were making the playoffs to begin with, you know? Um, And yeah, it's, it's just bad. It's bad times right now as far as this offense goes. And it's not fair because a guy like Kemba, a weapon that can shoot 27 feet, from the hoop credibly like that, it just, he should be able to play in this sort of a flowy dynamic offense. And it's the opposite of that right now. It's like a 2008 offense trying to play in 2017. And it's, um, I mean, it's just, it's just not working. It's just period. It's not working. And you even see it. The defense teams are using against them, loading up on the strong side against Kemba. That's something that's not supposed to work as well in 2017 and 18, when you, you should be able to, throw it around right. and find shooters and cutters. And it just, it doesn't exist. It just does not exist. with this how, how much of it do you think it's personnel or how much of you, do you think it's like the, well, I guess personnel dictates strategy. So I guess that, that kind of question is kind of a stupid question to ask, but you know, I mean, you, you see what I'm saying like, we don't have shooters, but again, also with Dwight in there are our strategy changes. Well, I, I think it is a little bit of both to me. I mean, right. it, it certainly has more to do. Yes. With personnel. I mean, like Brian said, this, <laughs> This stuff should not work. Like these defensive strategies that that, the teams are rolling out, which is super aggressive, load one side of the floor, take Kimba completely out of the game. Um, I mean, in the NBA, it's too creative now offensively. Like somebody else is going to make you pay if you're that aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Hornets don't have that personnel, Richie, yes, but there also is a scheme part to this that Steve Clifford is a big part of. I mean, mean, 
in the GM is a big part of it. That's the most disappointing part of it to me is that you had this super creative offense with the most dynamic pick-and-roll duo um, really in the NBA when you really start to get to the nitty-gritty of the stats with Zeller and Kimball Walker. And you've torn that down, and now you have this. That's the most disappointing aspect of this is that you managed to stumble and faceplant upon this great Kimba Zeller pick and roll duo. I mean one of the best in the league again. And then you and then you bring Dwight Howard into town. I mean it's just it is it's a little mind boggling. You know, when you really start to break it all down, you know, they they had this super creative system and now they've they've, you know, regressed to nineteen ninety five basketball. Yeah. And and you can see what's it is you know, Steven Silas so I, and I you know, hat, hat off to Silas for, I mean, he's been dealt kind of a bad hand. And he's, I feel like he's certainly trying very hard to win these games for the Hornets. He's just, he's got the, the, the cards are so stacked against him, but he's been trying to, he's been egging his team to get at least what, 29, three attempts per game. I mean, what team in the NBA now do you have to do that with? Do you have to say, guys, please take at least 33 pointers in this game. Um, I mean, seriously, the Hornets two seasons ago were one of the seven or eight best three point offenses in the NBA. And now they're one of the five worst period. Uh, they take less from everywhere on the court. And what stinks too, is the Hornets actually have some good corner three point shooters, but they can't get to that spot on the court at all. Like they, they're one of the best percentage wise, one of the best court three point corner shooting teams in the league, but they're probably bottom five or 10 in, in percentage of attempts because they just can't even get to that spot on the court. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just not even available to them. And a lot of that too is Marvin has to be the guy setting screen. So therefore he's above the break, but it's just, you know, the fact that they can't even get to these high percentage efficient shots that they're pretty good at take pretty good at shooting. It's just, it just, it's unfortunate because this is just, it's a, just an outdated offense. It's antiquated. And, and, and it, it's, it's pretty obvious to what, when you watch them every night, you know, and, one of the storylines, and I think themes will begin to see probably if this team, I mean, this team's out of playoff contention for the time being and, and will probably continue to trend in that direction. I mean, you, you don't want Dwight Howard. Just like, I can't believe he's been healthy, you know, the entire season, number one. But like, it, let's assume he stays healthy for the rest of the season. That's not a guy that I want to trot out there every single night at the expense of the development of my younger players and our offensive creativity that, that must improve. If he's out there, that's not going to improve. And look, guys like Dwayne Bacon and Malik Monk, and I mean, these younger players, uh, guys that you're going to have a few more seasons, Jeremy Lamb, again, Michael K. Gilchrist, like they don't need to be playing with Dwight Howard uh, when the season's over. And, and at the very least, you need to be developing some sort of, of offensive creativity and chemistry. It's not going to happen with Dwight out there. So like that's that's one of the biggest issues with the Hornets moving forward is are they just going to keep trotting Dwight out there? You know, because I think that again, it's going to affect and stunt the development of certain players because the offense is just—it has no creativity, it has no thought to it um, with him out there. Or are they going to try to trade him? Are they going to just ask him to stay home? Like, I would prefer the latter. That well, I'd prefer the middle scenario. That's not going to happen. They can't trade him. They're probably not going to tell him to stay home. But like, that's probably what I would prefer if you can't trade him. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Like he's putting up personal stats, but like the team is not getting better. The younger right. players are not developing. Mm-hmm. Like it, we, no one should give a damn about Dwight Howard's stats when the Hornets are 20 
you know what I mean, and whatever, yeah. well out of the playoff hunt. Like, just mm-hmm. tell the guy to stay home. Like, sorry, this is the NBA, but you're not really helping us as a team improve. And I don't know, that's going to be an interest, interesting storyline to me to watch. Uh, just, uh, we're just going to add in real quickly that last night against Miami, the tenth time they've scored under 100 points this season out of 28 games, which is embarrassing. And Charlotte is 0 and 10 in those 10 games when they've scored fewer than 100 points too. Let's wrap this. I think it's good to say we didn't really talk about the Miami game, but <laughs> I think we had some uh, we had some pretty good conversation there. Anyways, the Hornets lose 104-98 last night. Um, I mean, just real quickly, like Miami's bench was phenomenal. I mean, they got thirty two. Yeah, they got over fifty points from their bench. Um, <laughs> it's like yeah, pick and roll savant out there last night, just smoking Kaminsky regularly, which we touched on a little bit earlier. But um, I mean, look, the Heat get eleven from Josh Richardson, eleven from James Johnson, eleven from Olenek, twelve from Waiters, eight from Drogic. Uh, 11 from Adebayo, 16 from Ellington, 16 from Johnson, 8 from Mickey. Like, it doesn't get any more balanced than that. Uh, and that's what they do. They share the ball. They're a driving kick team. Um, you know, they don't look to play in transition, but good grief. You would have thought they were the best transition team in the league uh, after watching them go against the Hornets last night. Just an absolute pathetic uh, defensive um, effort from Charlotte. And, and, look, he'd only score 100 for 104 points, but that doesn't really tell you the whole story. It was so easy for them. Uh, again, they don't play fast, but it was so easy for them in the half court. And transition-wise, they got so many open threes. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. I don't know how they only made 11 of them. I mean, it seemed like they should have made 20. Uh, but uh, I thought, to me, guys, this is one of the worst defensive performances and efforts that I've seen the Hornets have in, in years. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree. I, I thought Kaminsky was especially bad, and, and Miami just went after him. I mean, Spolstra, that coaching staff, they they know how to play matchup basketball and they put him in, you know, one half of the pick and roll every time, or you put him in a screen off the ball. It doesn't matter which half, you know, whether he's guarding the guy that's being screened or he's guarding the screener instantly. Somebody is open just like that. Um, I do. Uh, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to divert from defense here because uh, Richie, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this too, but Richie, you also seconding over saying just how the team, they move the ball around the perimeter and nothing happens. There was one possession in the first half. It was all the second unit plus Batum. Charlotte ran some set that had, you know, a couple screens, a couple passes, whatever. It ended up with like, you know, eight or nine seconds left on the shot clock, and Kaminsky had the ball isolated. Like, that was the fifth option of this play. Was it got to, and Miami just was just standing there the whole, it was like Miami just stood there the whole time. <laughs> and they just watched the Hornets like cut and pass, and we're just like, okay, anytime you guys want to look at the basket. But and then make a move right. towards, like not until in, in, until you do that, we don't have to actually pay attention defensively. We can literally just stand here, and it, the play seriously ended with Frank Kaminsky. And it was like I can't believe you know you watch all this film, you study all this stuff, you you work on these plays, and then the end result is Frank Kaminsky catches the ball on the wing with the shot clock running down. And you're just like God, I just how did the offense get to here? There's so many mistakes have to happen. For that to be a, a, in the end result of an offensive play, but it, anyways, I digress. Uh, the second unit was especially bad last night. Um, anytime Batum was on the court with Kaminsky, I, I thought Batum had a horrible defensive effort last night. I think he was terrible on closeouts. I think he lost track of Ellington multiple times off the ball, a couple times, at least two occasions too, including one in the corner where like a loose ball, Ellington immediately you can see him by rerounded. He just sprints to the corner. 
And Batum just, you know, it's the classic Nick Batum. My arms are in front of my feet, closing out soft, and Ellington just bombed it right over the top. And it was like, just that's the shot he wants to take. Like, at least sprint and tackle him if you have to in the corner. Don't let him shoot an uncontested, an uncontested corner three. He makes it 50% of the time. So, yeah, just a bad effort both sides of the ball, especially on defense in the second unit. Um, Spencer, you described them as traffic cones a few weeks ago. I think it's a fitting description. And of all the traffic cones, Frank Kaminsky is the most stationary of all the traffic cones yeah. in unit. We got to, Richie, and then jump in here real quick. But I want to say this real quick. We got to, like, defensive efficiency is, I'm starting to really not believe in that stat. Like, again, we talked about OKC earlier. How's that the number two defense in the league? Like, <laughs> sometimes you watch their effort and you watch them play. And then the Hornets, like, the Hornets are right at that, at that you know, around top 10. Uh, Mark somehow, some way, but you watch this team defensively sometimes, especially the second unit. So I don't want to this to bleed on Kimba and Marvin and MKG guys like that, but Nick Batum and, you know, Kaminsky and, and Lamb, I mean, and, and Carter, these guys, it's just like the, the worst the NBA has to offer in terms of defense from an effort pr- perspective. And somehow these are players that are on a top 10 defense or right, right there at it. Um, it's amazing. Last night, again, I was shocked at the lack of effort uh, from this team, especially the second unit. And Kimba Walker and Marvin Williams, there's actually a good clip uh, during the game, a little shot of Kimba visually uh, very, very frustrated on the bench and Marvin kind of giving him a side eye and just kind of dropping his head. I mean, just when you think, like the OKC game, that hey, here's a team that is not giving in. We talked about it on Monday night in the bus cast. It's a team that's fighting. And, you know, two games later, they're just – they're deflated again, right back to where they were. It's it's a bad sign. Yeah, and Brian and I had this conversation last night while we were watching the game. Like, what's? I mean, we could probably have this conversation for a different different episode. But what's more disappointing, our offense or our defense? And I know that the expectations for the defense was were higher than this, and that's kind of why I think that sometimes the defense might be the more disappointing aspect of of this team, even though our offense is certainly ugly pretty much the whole time uh, we've seen them this year. But yeah, I think the biggest issues, just to kind of keep this short and defensively, boil down to three things. Uh, transition defense, can't stop the ball. And that leads to open transition threes, like you said, Spencer. Perimeter defense in the half court. There's too many times where, where the ball handlers get into the paint and again, kick it out for three. And then uh, pick and roll defense, especially with Dwight out there. Those three things have been the biggest issues in my mind defensively. And even though on paper, uh, statistic-wise, we might have a higher-ish uh, team defense from the eye test it just seems like there's a lot of gaps a lot of holes a lot of poor effort like you said because that's really all it is on defense is just putting forth the effort and we don't have a lot of guys that do that outside of Marvin and MKG oh and and Kemba and Kemba but the other players like you just listed off do not put in forth the effort it's a hopeless proposition uh with the guys coming off the bench for this team and and that's not going to end I mean it's it's (laughs) It's hard to watch it uh, start much outplay the opponent on a nightly basis and the second unit just kick the game uh, away every single time. So the Hornets are 10, 18, 10 and 18 on the year. They'll get Portland tonight. So this is tonight will be the second of four straight home games. Actually, text a buddy yesterday and said they pretty much have to win three of these four at home. All seemed winnable, including last night when it's still possible they need to win three straight here to keep the hopes alive but boy if they lose like three or four or maybe all four of these home games i mean we're now officially at the point where let's like okay it's you gotta pull the plug you gotta do something 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.